so stupid he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Guaranteed to be less crappy than a driver of the day vote. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Sorry, recording, so And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 44, the Hamilton episode of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighbor, that's Mr. Andre Harrison. And uh, we're coming to you for what? I mean, we kind of teased last week that it was going to be a really short episode. We still got 80 minutes out of this one. Note, there's even less material for this week's show. So we may struggle a little bit. But I think we've got just enough to pay it out for the Get a Full episode this week. So welcome back. With me, as ever, is Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yep, hey, hey, weekend kind of full of racing, excited for it. K kind of, kind of, like, <laughs> like we, 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 we got a bit of racing here and there, <laughs> just a little bit, uh, I mean, we, we, I don't think you were sitting down to watch the CEV Championship then in, in the blackboard, were you, King? No, no, <laughs> no. I don't, I, I don't want to watch fuel tanks explode. <laughs> Good lord, that, 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 that was something out of like some kind of circus evil Knievel stunt that, that was a couple of weeks ago, that was ridiculous But uh, Johnson is not here, he's too busy going out making actual money commentating on remote controlled cars, the bastard So to compensate, to fill in, so it's not just the two of us on this episode We have another man here, and it's been a long requested guest to, to have on the show Representing Brazil, he is one of the finest video makers in the F1 community now. He is the host of Mystery Science Theatre F1. He is Matheus Canario, aka Matt the MSTF1 guy. Hello, sir. Hello, Dre. Hello, King. Yep. Great Yay. to finally have you here. <laughs> Oh, yes, yeah, so like, like don't know, this, is, this has been in the works for over a month. Like, like <laughs> we've been trying to get Matt on for ages, but um, he's a busy man in art school back in Brazil and whatnot. So he's a very busy dude, unfortunately. Like the rest of us, he's got videos to edit and then uh, actual qualifications to earn. Um, so he's been very busy. But so, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty well. You know, um, King mentioned that loads of, loads of races coming this weekend. It's not just that. There's there's WWE pay per view, and it's also my birthday next week on the twentieth. So, yeah, it's a oh. really packed weekend for me as well. Ah, God, your birthday's how old are you going to be, mate? What, 22? Uh, 19. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're off by a little bit there. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was guessing, okay? Like, I, I don't want, like, I was trying to try and maybe trick myself to begin. I, I would be younger if I could make Matt sound older. <laughs> it didn't work. I mean, I'm 24 in August for crying out loud. I mean, unless I want to be reminded of this, and Matt's bloody 19 next this weekend. What a gift. But um, for those guys that don't know Matt, tell us what you do, <sighs> real quick. Um, I do the series that I, where I make fun of F1 races, old and new, mostly new because it's what the it's more, more successful for. I just I watch the whole race back and I get a few bits that I find funny or interesting that I make a joke on top of it and I get a lot of views and subscribers for it for some reason. Yeah, it's um, I don't know how you do it, man. I, I still think I still think he's just stealing off everybody, and I don't. And I mean, he, he just hit he hit two thousand subscribers last week. So I said I said it during our, our hangout lot yesterday, but I say again, congratulations, man. Um, I've I've not seen an F one channel grow this quickly in quite some time, and. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, me, me and King are huge fans of the show. We think you do a tremendous job. I mean, how, how did the idea first come about for you to start? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to riff on Formula One randomly and see what happens. Like, where did it start for you? Uh, around um, last year, around in May, I was really, really hooked on Mystery Science Theater 3000, which is the main yeah. inspiration for the show, because you know mm. the name. And... Um, I was thinking, what what can I do on YouTube? I've done so many things on YouTube that that didn't work. If mm. what what else can I do that could possibly work? So I thought, when I mix the both things that that I love the most, MST3K and F1, I didn't see anyone who was doing it at the time. So I thought, when I do it myself, so I just picked my notebook and I downloaded the uh, the 2015 Australian Grand Prix and I just went on writing. And next thing you know, it's on YouTube, and then very slowly people start to discover about this random high-pitched Brazilian kid who's really good at making video reviews. <laughs> yeah, like, I, originally I didn't find it on YouTube. I found it on the Formula One subreddit first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you've had a lot of success on the subreddit, haven't you, Matt? Yeah, uh, well, in the beginning, it wasn't actually on YouTube because of the FOM, you know. Yeah, of course. So, mm. after I figured out that I could put it up on uh, with the um, with the background and stuff so that F1 wouldn't catch me that's when it really started getting traction that's when it really started when the series really started growing but that, that didn't that didn't start until like February that's when it started that's when the channel was made so I basically got 2,000 subscribers in the space of four months which I also think is a, a lot in very in very little time I, I'm surprised until now it's it's I've I've never seen anything like it in this space where a guy's got two thousand subs in the first four months of running a completely fresh YouTube channel. Um, that's out of this world kind of growth, and there's no reason why it won't continue because you you seem to be really striking while the iron is hot when these uh, new reviews come out. I mean, naturally they're going to get a ton of views as soon as a race finishes or whatnot. Didn't you say, Matt? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm working on the. Canada video right now. I, I was working right before recording. I, I was on the lights out part. Um, so uh, yeah, the the bigger su- the big success is obviously the current era because you, you see a lot of people doing the, the classic ones. Chris does exclusively classic ones, which I think they're yeah. they're awesome. That he does um, he does justice to all of them. But the the main attraction of the series is doing the the current ones because that's what I think what the the what most of the fans want to see they, they don't want to see you taking the piss out of the classic ones because that's the part where they love they want to see you taking the piss on what, yeah, they, what they hate which is the, the current era <laughs> yeah it's like nobody wants to touch that sacred golden era it's it's it's, it's too good f1 was perfect back then we don't want this cheeky brazilian scam coming in here and sporting our fun <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean, it's incredible. So, I mean, you're going through the 2016 season now. Have you got any other classics lined up down the road? Unless you're afraid of people finding your house or something. I know I know, Brazil's uh, a bit obscure <laughs> these days, but... Uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, in the beginning, I was kind of reserved of um, telling people what about the classics were. But um, yeah, right now, after Canada comes up, I got Brazil 2012 right after. Hopefully even this week, oh. if, I can, if I can actually do it. But That's yeah, a great uh, race. I, yeah, I have a, a quite a big list actually of races to do. Um, I do know that. Uh, hang on, let me just find it here really quick. Um, here I have Brazil 2012, and then it's after that it's Monaco 1996, then it's Spain 90, uh, 1986. Uh, 
or along the future, the future, I'm planning to do Canada 2011, which everybody keeps asking. <laughs> <laughs> they keep asking. Have fun like, with that. <laughs> <laughs> and the one that I think everybody really, really wants me to do is Brazil 2008 for obvious reasons. But oh, oh god, yeah. oh uh, god, oh god. <laughs> Are you sure, man? Like, like, do you want like, like? Like Matt, you might commit suicide in the middle of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I I am doing that one eventually, but um, I'm gonna save that for the very last episode of the series because I know that's what everybody wants, so I'm gonna save it until the last minute. Hmm, interesting indeed. But uh, if we haven't, if you haven't seen Matt's show already, again, go out of your way to see it. It's, it's just Google Mystery Science Theater F1. You'll you'll be sure to find it amongst the the endless 3K reruns, of course. But uh. Yeah, so if you haven't already, absolutely check it out. Anywho, there was an actual weekend of Grand Prix racing to talk about, so we'll talk about that for a bit. We'll talk about the Canadian Grand Prix, obviously, as Hamilton wins. Lol. Um, but actually, Ferrari kind of tricked us for a minute to think they had a chance of winning this. Hooray. We'll talk about where it all started. Turn one as Vettel got a lightning start, but uh, Rosberg was bumped off the road yet again. I wonder why we haven't questioned his mental status yet here. King, has he got the champion's mentality for this? You, you, oh, you mentality. I thought you were like he was going through like post-traumatic stress syndrome. Oh, <laughs> the trauma! Of, the trauma of Monaco. <laughs> well, I'm getting outdragged in a straight line by Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> so we'll talk about that turn one accident and just Nico Rosberg's kind of rough uh, last few weeks in the office, given that he's now on his driest podium spell since 2013. We'll talk about the tyres and how Pirelli probably got this one wrong, but Canada's just kind of weird like that, so that's okay. We'll talk about uh, other underrated performances like, like uh, Valtteri Bottas scoring Williams' first podium since since Mexico last year, and Carlos Sainz coming from 20th on the grid to finish in the top 10. Great performance from him. And Seagulls. We've got to talk about some Seagulls. You, if you haven't seen what I'm talking about, you'll listen in. You'll, you'll, you'll know what I mean. It is one of the best interviews you will ever hear after a race, ever. Um, we'll also talk about IndyCar and uh, the race that was and then swiftly wasn't. Uh, as the the Texas Firestone 600 was put off for a day due to storms and flooded in the Texas area. Um, we did get a race yesterday, as we talked as we recorded this on today, June thirteenth. But uh, it only went for seventy-two laps. Then it rained again, and now we haven't got a race at all. It's now in August, as you do. And we'll also yep. talk about a very frightening injury for Joseph Newgarden and, and uh, what happened to him when he and Conley decided to make out on the side of the track. Um, it didn't go well. Um, we'll also talk a little bit about some extra news like Pastor Maldonado and his future plans and uh, the Queen's birthday honors came out and someone in F1 got nominated and it was Claire Williams getting an OBE from the Queen and uh, why the internet seems to be quite mad about that. Not entirely sure why, but hey, we'll talk about that too. All that and inevitably much more on Merciful 101 and let's start off with the Canadian Grand Prix King and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut to the chase here King. We were cock-teased, weren't we? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I wouldn't call it that. I would say, man, that the start, the first couple laps, it really seemed like we could be in for something different, and it just never panned out. And it, it seemed like maybe tire strategy came into that. It came into play when it came to that, and also Mercedes' ultimate pace, where basically if they want to go 
when, when if they want to go flat out, they're faster than anyone out there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Martin Brundle brings it up a lot on on commentary. I mean, he wasn't here this 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 this, this weekend. It was Paul the rest of the because Martin's had an operation, I think, back home in Norfolk. Uh, wish him a speedy recovery as ever. Um, not that he's he wasn't missed too much because Paul the rest actually did a, did a pretty good job filling in for him. But I always remember. Brundle always talking about how often does Mercs have to go all out, and we all know in Formula One, and we hate Formula One for this, according to many of our hardcore fans, that you know we don't like it when drivers and, and teams are not pushing flat out and they're not giving one hundred and ten percent to try and win the race because you know it makes us feel better about what we're watching. It's a placebo, as I, as I like to call it. But um, how often have we actually seen Mercs having to go all out to defend itself like that? I mean, that was that was kind of refreshing, but at the same time, a nice reminder about just how fucking broken this car is. Oh, we didn't just say, Matt. I mean, I mean, we, we watched it obviously on Google Hangouts together yesterday, and it 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 it, it was kind of refreshing to see Vettel lead and have a real shot at the win, but at the same time, it was like, oh god, Mercs still gonna win this, aren't they? <laughs> It was it was pretty much a repeat of Australia where we saw Vettel jumping into the lead and leading for the most part, and then we see the race lost on strategy on and on driver mistakes. It, if you look at it, it's pretty much a copycat of the race. It, 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 the exact same things happen: tire strategies and Vettel went out on the on the chicane at the last turn three times, what in a row? I don't think it was in a row, but close enough. But yeah, it, it really brings into perspective how. Um, how close Ferrari might actually be getting to Mercedes, the, despite you know the the brackly grass, as you say, uh, of Mercedes <laughs> just trying trying to pretend nice. like they're under danger from Ferrari. But I think on this case, the um, the upgrades or whatever they may have brought to the table on this weekend might actually be working to 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 bridge the gap to bridge the gap. Yeah, uh, just yeah, like Red I mean, Bull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean. A lot of people uh, were saying the Rebel could be a threat this weekend. See <coughs> that? Um, I know he's listening. <laughs> saying that saying the Rebel was a real threat for this race in Canada, and um, that turned out not to be the case. But Ferrari did bring a, a new enhanced turbocharger for the weekend, and it seemed to do the business. I mean, we've not seen a Ferrari that close in qualifying so far this year, and I mean Vettel pulled out a stonking. I think it was a one twelve nine. To uh, try and to try and get to Hamilton, it was just a couple of attempts shy in the end. I know Hamilton said he had more pace in his pocket because he didn't feel as fast as he did the previous day. But um, I mean, that's the pattern. I mean, Mercs don't seem to unlock their full speed until 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 Q2. I'd argue it's like it's like Q1. You think, oh, okay, Mercs are a little bit vulnerable here. Okay, maybe they're sandbagging a little bit, and then they drop the sandbag. It's like, oh shit! It's like. <laughs> It's like I remember Q2 they were like a 13-0 in Q2 I'm like oh shit it's time to go home everybody yeah pack your bags we're done here Mercs just dropped the load on us again Ugh, yes it's, it's it's it was a painful experience but uh, I mean we, we, we were teased I mean a little bit I mean Ferrari got the jump on them on the start again again like like Matt said it, 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 it felt a lot like Canada where again it was a it was a good start from Ferrari it was an, it was an outstanding start from Vettel given given the fact that, you know, Canada's got such a short rundown to turn one, they were able to get out in front, and, uh, you know, the, the, there was a virtual safety car because of Button's retirement, I think it was that 12 or so, um, there was a virtual safety car, and uh, Ferrari decided that we're going we're to take Vettel off the ultra soft tyre now, we're going to put him 
on a new pair of super softs and you know give up the race lead they saw the clear they saw the clear air behind Verstappen and the two Red Bulls um, so they, they boxed in they put him back out there and it just didn't work in the end because I mean it's interesting because the, the Hamilton said after the race they were planning to do a two-stopper originally they were going to two-stop but then they saw Ferrari stop and then they thought let's go to the one and Little did we know the soft tyres could do 50 laps without a problem. And uh, th- that effectively killed all the intrigue in the race, King, didn't it? Not that we knew uh, it at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it killed most of the intrigue on the, in the race because if the softs could be almost or maybe even quicker than the ultra softs and last almost twice as long, there's no point where there's no point in gambling on the ultrasoft and cars that were on the ultrasofts were, you know, strategically at a disadvantage and it just didn't create the right conditions for Ferrari to even have a chance at beating Mercedes. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's just it's just the way it was. I mean they tried a fresh pair of super softs. They didn't have the longevity really to um they had to stop again anyway because you have to run the hardest compound tire over over a race. That's the rule for going back to the previous era of Pirelli strategies and tires and whatnot. But even so, it just wasn't enough. Their soft tire pace, despite being 13 laps older, in Hamilton's one-stop instant, uh, Hamilton still had the measure of that team, and they had to go all out because Ferrari were faster in that scenario down the, down the stretch, and it was it was only a tenth here, a tenth there, and then. Vell ran ran through the last chicane a couple of times, and then that was the end of the matter, really. And uh, it says a lot about the situation, Matt, when Hamilton, on the penultimate lap of the race, sets a 15-9 as the ultimate, like, okay, it's time to pack your bags and go home moment because you just realize he's on tires that are 44 laps old. And he's just done a fifty-nine. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just like, well, what, why are we even bothering at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, the the Pirelli really screwed up the tires on this one. The, well, mm. it, it's not like the conditions were all all optimal either. The 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 track temperature was pretty cold. I think it was um, the rest of the mission. It was twenty-four degrees on the beginning of the of the race. So it was uh, the tires were bound to last longer because they weren't gonna heat up as much. So they weren't going to degrade as fast. So there's also the issue with the ultra softs. If you can make the if you can go that fast with the softs and with the super softs as well, then what's the point of having an even softer compound that's just basically the same as the rest? It kind of, it's the same with um, with Monaco. They went with the ultra softs from what we what 47 laps, 45 laps of Hamilton, I think. Yeah, maybe? it was about 45 laps. Yeah, yeah. The ultra soft. What's the point of the extra compound if it's just the same as everything else? I mean, it's just another color to add to the side of, to the side of the tires also we got a we got a breaking news message from mr king here as we recorded live rumor mill says renault admit they're interested in signing carlos Sainz jr for 2017 like the, like okay i'll talk about this briefly for a minute king that seems like a downgrade to me a, a downgrade Sainz jr for for joe Vollmer? Okay, it's a downgrade for sign. That's what I'm trying to say here. Like the car is probably a little bit worse than Toro Rosso is right now. But I mean, we could probably talk about this later in the show. But if mm. they get signed Junior, hopefully they're also trying to get James Allison for next season. Like Renault have admitted, like they're fine with breaking the bank to try to you know improve. 
Okay, well, we'll come back to that later. Hmm, you get more material for the show, I like it. But um, let's talk about turn one for a minute. Now, as we saw, Vettel got this amazing start to take the lead from turn one, and off he went. And But meanwhile, <laughs> King, you're going to love this bit. Uh, Lewis Hamilton claims he understeered on that turn one apex, and as a result, made contact with Rosberg, and... Rosberg had to take the scenic route through turn two and knocked him down to ninth place. And uh, Hamilton described it, I believe, as an unfortunate tap. Now, is this a case of... Uh, is Hamilton telling the truth here? Or is this a case of, we don't believe you, you need more people? Uh, <laughs> like, it, it's, it's the truth, but it's not the whole truth. Cause, oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> you... Like, all of us have some experience with racing video games, and we all know you don't just steer with the steering wheel. If your car is no. understeering, you know, you could let off the throttle or, you know, drag the brake a bit to, you know, tighten up your tighten up your angle. And he could have done that, and he did not. He did not, and he thought, I'm just going to drive across this apex a little bit, and I don't care if Rosberg's car's there or not. And, uh, King, do you think there should have been a penalty here, maybe? I, I know... They don't tend to punish turn accidents unless they're really like Kvyat levels of bad. But I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like Hamilton was a little bit naughty on that one and kind of got away with another one. Uh, I would say I would definitely lean the blame towards Hamilton. Like it was definitely his fault, but I don't think it was deserving. I don't think it was deserving of a penalty. Yeah, Matt, what, 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 what do you make of this one? Uh, I'm with King on this one. It's um, it's an understeer, but if understeer, you can correct understeer. And he didn't correct it if he if he did ha have that problem in there. So, um, but in terms of penalties, I'm also kind of conflicted because it is a, it is a turn one incident. A turn one incidents don't really get um, the penalty as much, like you said. Um, but I would possibly just maybe give a warning, not even a reprimand, just like just like something like, hey, watch it, just don't don't do that anymore but if he gets a reprimand i think he gets a, a penalty then right why he gets three now uh yeah, yeah that's the problem that's the problem because even a reprimand would result in a penalty because he's had two already this season and a third is an automatic 10 place grid penalty for the next race <laughs> yeah i wouldn't be looking at a reprimand then just like a slap in the wrist so, so just um just to tell him just to, to watch himself yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with that. I think that you know, I think it's got to be pretty blatant for me to to give out a penalty for turn one. And I bet there's a bunch of angry Hamilton fans telling me, "But we'll talk about Catalonia," <laughs> even though I, I don't think that was a penalty either, quite frankly. So, um, yeah, I think the stewards got that one right. A bit. I mean, it was an unfortunate day again for uh, Nico Rosberg. I mean, why don't we have our resident Rosberg fan, Mr. King, tell us a little more about it? Yeah, <laughs> at the start of the race, he had his incident with Hamilton. I don't want to say he got run off the road because that seems a bit. He did. He did. That seems a bit too aggressive, and he was as low as. And you, you can be, you, you can be as salty as you like here. I do not mind. Say you got run off the road. You, you know you want to say it. You know you want to say it. Come yeah, on. Yeah, gonna, and he ended up being as low as tenth during the Grand Prix, and yeah. he slowly had to work his way up through the field and ended up getting a slow puncture during the closing stages of the race, which worsened his situation. And uh, <laughs> he ended up being stuck behind Max Verstappen. And then when he finally 
ghosts make us move around Rasafin. He he gets around him during, you know, the chicane the last chicane towards the wall of champions and then loses it completely. Yeah, that was a very bizarre accident there from from, from Rosberg. I mean I, from what I learned last year, the outside of the last chicane is a no-go. You can't really pass on the outside of that chicane. It's, it's near impossible because you've got to cut across the apex and the other car's almost bound to be there. Um, so unless the unless like you're getting like a Vettel-Hulkenberg situation from last year where where the Hulkenberg was almost too generous with that apex to let Vettel through, um, it's hard to pass there, King. I mean, was it just a complete driver error? Because I know a couple people said he may have the wall or something, but I think it was just a complete accident where he just got in too hard yeah it, it seemed like he was too aggressive to get the move done like he got the move done but he couldn't he couldn't close it and maintain his position he, he was too aggressive and lost control of the car how very Verstappen of him uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I wonder if a certain Matt here was a was a fist pumping when Verstappen held him off like that I wonder um, yeah, I, I was happy that he didn't manage Pass Verstappen, but... On the record, we have yeah. proof of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, it's just... I, not, not, I don't really feel just happy for Verstappen staying, keeping his position, but also sad for Rosberg. He, he, he was such on a roll in the beginning of the season, on five on the five first races, but now he just keep, keeps going down. His lead just keeps getting cut off more and more. It's just hard to not feel a little bit of, um, I don't know, sympathy maybe for his for his troubles. I feel a bit bad for him. I can't lie to you. Um, that that was a, a rotten bit. I mean, Monaco was more self inflicted He just didn't have the pace in, 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 on on that occasion, which was again bizarre for 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 Rosberg to be that far off while Hamilton was absolutely flying on those ultra softs. But um, it was a very bizarre race for Rosberg where it just it just everything that could have gone wrong for him just just about went wrong for him luckily i mean anywhere else where, where rosberg makes that error he's probably out of the race but because it's canada where he got a massive pocket of tarmac he was able to continue and you know didn't lose anything really he just, he just lost a chance at fourth um as verstappen would ride off into the sunset and take a very respectable 12 points and uh Verstappen described those last 10 laps as, and I quote, the toughest 10 laps of my life. So, uh, <laughs> at, at, at least Verstappen, at least, uh, King, you can feel a little bit better that, uh, you know, Verstappen was really sweated in that car with Rosberg behind him, which I guess is understandable given how frigging quick that car is. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I would not want either of the Mercedes drivers behind me, and I'm not in a Mercedes. That is basically trying to outrun Usain Bolt. <laughs> Yeah, without using PEDs, Justin. <laughs> um, oh <my> God. <laughs> but um, that that was kind of the the, uh, the the weird nature of the race, really, where you know anything that seemed to happen, well, in the, in case of um, in Rosberg's case, it just seemed to happen and uh, just didn't work out for him in the end. But uh, you're absolutely right. I also, be what people were saying earlier in the sense of well. Ferrari look a lot stronger than what they did this time last year. I know Vettel started from near, near or less to back um, last time out um, in Canada, but uh, last year the two Mercs were 40 seconds faster than anybody else over the course of the race, and uh, Vettel was within five seconds this year. That's a plus, given this is a real power circuit, and this is one of Mercs' strongest tracks um, since, since this hybrid era has begun. So, uh, 
Uh, quick rundown of the full result here real quick. Lewis Hamilton takes the win, obviously, and Sebastian Vettel is second, five seconds behind. And then we get to uh, 46 seconds back. Um, so half a... What I say more is two-thirds of a lap down was Valtteri Bottas in third, but Bottas was the only other man on the one stopper, and he was able to make it work. I mean, King, great drive from Valtteri Bottas to get back on the podium. Yeah, I would say it was a great drive. Might even say it was drive of the day, but it, it was. it's definitely nice seeing Williams on the podium because it's, what, it was Mexico last year, the last time they, were, they had a podium, and it's not yeah. that often you see Williams even contending for podiums nowadays. Yeah, it's strange because like Williams said themselves, or you know, Bottas said himself, he he feels like he's in the fourth best car right now. Like he he, he knows they're behind where they want to be. They want to be challenging Red Bull and Ferrari for, for regular podiums, but they can't do that right now. They're just, they're just too far off the pace. But uh, a very well driven one stop from Val to get on the podium, as, as as King quite rightly said, first since Mexico last season, and then their first of the season. Uh, for Bottas. I know he's kind of become a little bit of a forgotten man in F1 after his brilliant 2014 season, but uh, a nice reminder that Bottas can still be class when he wants to be. We talked about uh, Max Verstappen, and uh, guys, he won the Driver of the Day award somehow for his mediocre fourth-placed finish, where he finished exactly the same place he started, 53 seconds off the win. I mean, King, this is total horseshit, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I felt I felt Valtteri Bottas should have been driver of the day. A lot of people yeah. said that Carlos Sainz Jr. should have been driver of the day. And it seems like Verstappen, seemingly out of nowhere, won the driver of the day vote. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like it should have been either Carlos Sainz or Valtteri Bottas. I think those two names would have been fine. I'd have been fine with Lewis Hamilton in the context of how he won that Grand Prix. I'd have been completely fine with that. Um, it's funny. Lewis Hamilton's not been driver of the day yet, despite being the uber popular driver that he is. That's that's very interesting. Now I think about it. Yeah, but, it, uh, it, it seems like Hamilton hasn't had you know driver of the day drives yet this season. You, like you could argue this one could qualify as one because this was this was a ridiculous drive from Hamilton, given the context of what was going on around him. But um, no, no, he has, he has not. He has not got it yet. Uh, so somewhere Matt is rejoicing right now. Again, <laughs> nah, he, he's not going to get one because Hamilton wins low isn't a very good story for a driver of the day. Unless he no. does like uh, like Germany twenty fourteen. He started from last, then he come came back all over to finish in what second place or third? I don't, I don't remember. If he does he that, ag- that yeah. If he does that again this year, then maybe just maybe he might get it. Yeah, it also helps with that Williams as well, that they're just so fast in a straight line. I mean, that Williams was literally impossible to overtake over the course of that Grand Prix because of their front, their straight line speed is just that good. So, yeah, props to Val. Great job for him in finishing third ahead of Max Verstappen in fourth. Nico Rosberg, as we mentioned, finishing fifth. Kimi Raikkonen, oh dear, sixth place, yet a minute and three off the win and nearly a minute behind his own teammate. That's... That's poor. That's that's really really bad, you guys. I mean, I know. I've, I mean, I've been I've been relatively soft on Raikkonen this year. I think he's done a solid job this season so far, much better than he was last year. But I mean, King, that's a that's a bad day in the office for Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, because so far his season has been fantastic. What second or he was second? Now he's third in the drivers' championship. Well, after Canada, he's now 
fourth in the dri- he's fifth in the drivers championship. Oh my god, keeps getting bigger. <laughs> his his season started off fantastically, and then the moment talk started about will they keep Kimmy for twenty seventeen? Uh, he he just had bad weekend after bad week in the past two weekends. Yeah, it's not. It's like just when we thought, oh, Rocket might be good enough to keep next year, and it's like, oh no, that's the Rocket we knew. He's back on form, you guys. Yep. What, what, what's Boss Ass's phone number again? Um, we may have misplaced it. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 not a good look. And uh, finishing a minute behind your teammate and being out qualified by half a second is all kinds of ugly on a one minute twelve second lap. That's. Uh, not good, not good. And it also uh, doesn't help his cause that out of nowhere, Vettel leapfrogged Raikkonen and Ricardo in the Drivers' Championship to be third. Yeah, welcome back, Sam. You're like, you're now, you're now in what we call the Daniel Ricardo position. <laughs> well, if, if anything, there is one good thing that happened to Kimi Raikkonen this weekend. I think at least um, he didn't spit on the hairpin. Hey, <laughs> that's a plus. That's a plus. Yeah. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, it's in my book. <laughs> We've got to take these positives where we can get them, you guys. Um, he, he also did finish ahead of uh, Daniel Ricciardo, who uh, can, can we consider the hype train utterly derailed for Ricciardo at this point? Because uh, he was getting all the plaudits going into this round, seventh place on this one. He was a little bit unlucky in, in, in this instance. He was stuck behind his teammate for a while. And then um, I think he had a slow puncture as well at one point. And I think he also said that he – I think he called uh, – Red Bull strate- strategical decisions, uh, and I quote, a bit average. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like somewhere. Like, I don't know who mailed him a copy of it, but I think he's been like memorizing Mark Webber's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> the bitterness is starting to brew up now with, with, with Ricardo. It's like he's going to the dark side of the Australian force as, as, as time goes on. <clears throat> Pardon me. But, uh, yeah, seventh place for Ricardo, one minute and three seconds off the win. Uh, so about that whole Red Bull hype train you, you guys are all talking about, uh, that that might have been derailed a little bit. But Ricardo was the last man on the same racing lap. So, yeah, the Hamilton had lapped everybody up to eight, which is just crazy. Um, Nico Hulkenberg, we, we haven't talked about him, but he was a very solid day from him at the office in eighth place. Um he apparently said it was the most boring race he's ever been in and that uh, he was only there to conserve the tyres. But hey, it worked <laughs> out. So, hey, we call that the Sergio Perez role. Uh, <laughs> so, eight for Nico Hulkenberg. Good day for him. And shout out to Carlos Sainz, everybody. Started in 20th place. Goes on to finish in ninth. Passes, hollow uh, the key passes along the way, including his teammate, Paul Kvyat, uh, in the middle of that as well. But, uh, King, a sensational job from Carlos Sainz. Yes, Carlos Sainz, 20th to 9th. Oh my god, <laughs> what a drive from Carlos Sainz Jr. Yes, he had some help with other drivers having misfortunes, but for him to move up so far is, you know, an impressive achievement. Yep, Carlos Sainz said post-race, if you would have offered me P9 before the race had started, given I was from 20, I'd have immediately signed that deal. So, uh... Two points when he probably didn't expect to get them. All the days work for Carlos Sainz, who's in a real brilliant run of form at the moment. But, um, you know, he's doing really, really well at the minute. But uh, good to hear. Good shot for him. And uh, Carlos Sainz rounded off the points there in 10th. Carlos Sainz, sorry? I mean, Sergio Perez, I should say, sorry. Rounded off the points in 10th ahead of uh, Fernando Alonso in 11th. 
who uh, did you hear? Did you hear the story King about him trying to you know try and get a late pit stop going so he could you know try and uh, maybe pass a few dudes at the end of the Grand Prix? Um, no, I did not hear that story. I mean, that doesn't sound like a very sound strategy to just take a pit stop for fresh tires just because you want to go faster because you're gonna lose time taking the pit stop. Yeah, he had to two-stop in the end, but he did 52 laps on the soft tyre, um, more than anybody else did. So he wanted a late stop, and uh, he wasn't best pleased about uh, the fact he was not allowed to take a late pit stop. It was like it was like kind of the last year where Alonso complained during that Grand Prix as well. God bless him. Uh, so yeah, Alonso in 11th place, just missing out on the points again there for McLaren. Dino Kvyat in 12th. Esteban Gutierrez, who, in case you didn't know already, who's in, who finished in 13th. He has now gone 30 consecutive races without scoring a point. Oh, dear. <laughs> but, hey, he beat his teammate, so that's a plus, right? Uh, so, ahead of, ahead of Grosjean in 14th, uh, Marcus Ericsson in 15th, uh, Kevin Magnussen in 16th, ahead of Pascal Wehrlein, Felipe Nazar, Rio Hayanto in 19th, and the three non-finishers, Felipe Massa, that had a cooling issue, Julian Palmer, that had a water pressure failure, and Jensen Button's power unit went poof um, on lap seven. Now, <clears throat> just before we move on from this, I've still got a bit of a cough on me, so I apologize for that. Uh, I had a cold all of last week, so, you know, it's, I've, been, I've been living the struggle, basically. But, uh, King, we have to talk about that post-race interview with Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel, haven't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. They should do dual driver interviews more often because they seem hilarious. This this was absolutely hilarious. Like, Matt, we've got to get this interview on your show at some point. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll try to stick it in at the end. Yeah, good, good man. See, you heard it here first, you guys. You heard it here first. This was, this was our idea. Uh, um, <laughs> get, get a podcast plug in there as well and all that shit. Yeah, but we, 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 we want all the marketing, man. I mean, you're doing better than us right now, so we've got to come to you. <laughs> we'll, dis- we'll discuss a playman pattern later. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got to talk about this post interview. I mean, in case you guys didn't see it, I mean, um, Hamilton dedicated uh, his, his his 45th career victory to Muhammad Ali, who sadly passed last week. Um, a uh, very a very classy tribute, of course. Uh, uh, what was the quote, King? I think it was, uh, fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee. This one's for you, Muhammad Ali. Oh, that's yeah. very, 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 very witty of him there. So that's a nice rhyme he had going on there. Uh, God bless him. He, 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 did, he did the early shuffle coming out of the cars. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like you don't want to criticize him because you know he means well, but it's just like this is so corny. <laughs> I don't I don't, I don't want to take the Mickey too bad because I think a bunch of Hamilton fans will just find my house and then shoot me talking about this. But um, it's just yeah, it, it was just kind of corny, really. But because I think he's, he's walking through the pit lane garage, right, and he's got the boxing glove on on his hand wrapped in the British flag I'm just like you have to get you know, like he, he's not half arsing this king he's going all the way with this he's got he's got the boxing glove now and all <laughs> I, I, I I don't know how to describe that one really but in the middle of his um post-race interview with Simon Lazenby over at Sky Sports F1 uh was gonna be just your usual you know Hamilton you know uh fan loving of course because from his biggest fan Simon Lazenby of course from Sky Sports F1 but he was interrupted by Sebastian Vettel and Vettel who was still in buoyant spirits after finishing second um called out Hamilton for saying that you only gained all that time at the end and the reason why because there was a couple of seagulls on the track king oh just, <laughs> just... 
Oh, there's seagulls and motorsport go together like steak in Texas. They're they're, they're both fantastic, but the steak isn't going to be there for very long. <laughs> that's 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 a one hell of an analogy there, King. My God. <laughs> that is impressive, but um, yeah, the, that that's the Logan Assurance. I, mean, I think it, it was the lap before the virtual safety car. Vettel had lost about a second in, in time, basically, and nobody was able to quite put a finger on one because we didn't see it on the hard camera. But the, they had to get the guys in the back to verify the onboard footage from Vettel, and they actually, after three attempts, they found this. And it was the lap before the virtual safety car. He's turned into turn one, and on the and just past the apex of turn one, there is literally a flock of seagulls <laughs> in the middle of the track, and Vettel swerved to get out of the way, <laughs> or, or so he claims. <laughs> now, King, is this a case of we don't believe you? You need more people. <laughs> uh, like, part of me doesn't believe him, but part of me believes like there's like a genuine shock value to just seeing like is that a seagull in the middle of the racetrack <laughs> <laughs> because in case you didn't know what we're referencing here we're referencing the fact that back at Phillip Island last year during MotoGP Andrea Iannone literally headbutted a seagull coming down the hill towards the penultimate corner and it was the most hilarious memorific thing we've seen in motorsport last season was Iannone and Gavin the Seagull as we like to affectionately nickname them so much so I got followed by three accounts calling themselves MotoGP Seagull it's uh, that, was a, <laughs> that, that, that was a real thing that happened uh, that day but uh if you have never seen it, find the video. It is hilarious to see. Like, it, like it wasn't even an accident. He did it on purpose. Like, you can see him cock his head back and then just nut the seagull right in the head, and it just dies. It's 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 an incredible visual image that you have to kind of see to believe. But uh, uh, yeah, we had to talk about his vessel, and again, we, it was a tremendously funny moment. Just having Hamilton and and and, and Vettel banter about this seagull, and Hamilton saying, "I'm gonna buy you a couple of seagulls." clearly <laughs> and uh given that hamilton owns a private jet and is on 40 million pounds a year i'm sure he can i'm sure he can arrange that and then some you can buy him a whole flock um quite frankly um during that but uh king this was hilarious wasn't it oh yeah it was hilarious it's, it's one of those moments that is just gonna be a gift for like forever and forever just like uh rossberg and rossberg and the pigeon at monaco Oh yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that was another one, wasn't it? Yeah, the pigeon, uh, the pigeon and Monica. Because they, they, every year they're there. There's always at least one shot of a driver coming through the swimming pool section of the track, and there's a pigeon on the track, ready to be driven over. But they always fly out of the way at the last minute. <laughs> Didn't did get anything gory, like like a, like a pigeon caught in the front wing or something. Um, they always seem to get out of the way. And I mean, last year, it, I think it was a gopher. That was on the yeah, track yeah, in the middle of the Grand Prix. It was a groundhog. It's, it's uh, groundhog, groundhog. Continuing yeah, the tradition yeah. of Canada and animals in the middle of the track. Yeah, I'm <laughs> very Canadian. Uh, <laughs> insert all your jokes here. But uh, if you have not seen that interview, go out of your way to see it. And I, I even have to say that even like Sky F1 was in full jokey mood regarding this. Um, I'm trying to find the tweet on my timeline right now. Where, yeah, the headline on Sky's FM Twitter was, and I quote, Sebastian Vettel ambushes Lewis Hamilton's Sky for an interview to blame suicidal seagulls. 
Who's the response was, this is the greatest headline ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have to mention another post-race interview, which from Sky, that I didn't particularly enjoy, where they, you know, usual team makes mistake, let's talk to their team principal about it, where they interviewed uh, Maurizio Arrivabene about Ferrari's day, and he basically Arrivabene had to reply, we overestimated degradation of the tires, and the reason, that's the reason why they called in Vettel, <laughs> called in Vettel, and he said that it was the wrong decision, we don't have to make the story bigger than it was, today we made a mistake. Then later on, going full Justin Trudeau, as in... Oh! He makes an apology again after realizing they didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> where, where he says, where he, where he told the the press, where he's like, I have to apologize to the team because straight after race, Sky, quote, Sky UK jumped on me and said, who was the guy who made the mistake on the strategy? <laughs> <laughs> Has everybody never heard of the phrase "no take backs"? Um, <laughs> that's that's hilarious. It's like it's like the thing is, if I've noticed, like Ted Kravitz is a demon when it comes to these things. Like if somebody makes a bad call in the strategy office, Kravitz will jump down their neck. It's like he's really bad for that. Like. Like, I remember when it was Monaco last year with Hamilton's famous first-to-third blunder in the pits. Kravitz was chasing Toto Wolf up the bridge. Like, like, who got this wrong? Who made the decision? What was your, what was your logic going into this? And, King, do you remember the Team Orders one from Malaysia 2014? Oh, yeah, I remember that one. And I also remember his moment with Claire Williams. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It was like it was Massa had to pull out of the way for team orders for Bottas that day. And Kravitz got right in Claire Williams' face. Like, how could you do such a thing? How could you tell Massa to pull over? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, Ted. Like, shit. <laughs> he's just very he's, passionate he's about sport. It, 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 it makes it sound like someone had kicked Kravitz's dog or something. Like, it's like shit. it was just the most angry rant I've ever heard in my life. Like, like how could you possibly get this wrong? How dare you? How dare you make Felipe Massa have to go through team orders again? Did he grow up a secret Massa fan, Matt? Like, is, is that it? Like, are we missing something here? I don't know. Maybe he's just still bitter about Germany 2010. Uh, uh, or just the fact that the team orders are involved or something. But I remember also last year in the middle of the race, he was just, you could just feel the anger in his voice talking about the, the, the Mercedes blunder. He was just, there's something, something wrong here. Someone made a mistake. I'm going to find out. Not even if it cost me my job. He didn't say those words, but it was kind of that tone. It was, it was just hilarious to hear. Never trust a guy that's that comfortable wearing sandals with socks, quite frankly. Yeah, but uh, I mean, like, Arena <laughs> Bene had to, like, actually think out loud to himself about, like, like, quote, the question was, like, what was about the strategy? It was quite clear that only two drivers were doing doing the one stop. One was Valtteri Botas, and the other one was Hamilton. And we didn't predict that Hamilton would be able to go to the end. Yeah, exactly. And that's just kind of how it was, really. But, uh... Shout out to Ted Kravitz for just being like the Jeremy Paxman of, uh, of F1 interviews, basically. Um, hopefully one day we, we might seem to turn into like full Malcolm Tucker at this point, which would be just kind of just hilarious in its own right. Just, you know, we, we should do that now. Like, Matt, just, just to swear randomly in all your episodes from here on in. Just, just, 
whatever comes to whatever comes to mind when Ferrari gets screwed, just 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 let it all out in a bunch of swears, okay? People will love it. So go. <laughs> <laughs> and like, if you don't if you don't know what I mean, just after this podcast finishes, just just YouTube the best of Malcolm Tucker and say no more. <laughs> King knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah I do. Just gonna have to learn to put on a British accent and say just say can't every every other second word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that works. That works. Um, we're, we're, I'm okay with that. Uh, so yeah, moving on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some IndyCar real quick. And uh, King, it was kind of a all over the place weekend in Texas. Really, I mean, we we, we thought we were going to get a uh, Texas race. Carlos Munoz had put it on pole, his first career pole position. And uh, there was excitement in the air for the race, and then we found out, oh, there's, it's been raining, you guys. This might yeah. be a problem. Yeah. Like, I I was going to watch the race the next day because I had gone out, and I just assumed, like, oh, I'm getting, like, all these messages and notifications on my phone because, you know, the IndyCar race is going on. But, you know, I sneakily take a peek at my phone, and I realize the race is rain delayed. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Funny thing is, like, like I was already kind of dreading this one because it's like because Texas is, a, is normally a night race. It's uh, one one thirty in the morning British time. Um, so that was I was already kind of tired by this point. So I was just sitting there going, "Oh come on, please, just make this race be like. Can we just like a, get like a lack of caution so I can maybe still go to bed and get a decent night's sleep?" And uh, it gets delayed by an hour. It gets delayed to two thirty in the morning then 3.30 <laughs> so I'm still awake at 3.30 thinking I oh, may just end up watching this race in the end like, like seeing up to like maybe 6 in the morning to watch this IndyCar race because I'm that dedicated to the task yes um, so 3.30 comes and goes there's still not a race going on um, we get some hilarious backstage gossip from all the IndyCar drivers wait, wait, wait I got to say IndyCar's roster carried themselves unbelievably well during this weekend like like in, in IndyCar kind of was very spur at the moment it's like oh well, we're, we're gonna get Ed Carpenter Racing's team on Facebook for a live stream and I'm like yay <laughs> we get Carpenter in New Garden just chilling all day and that would have been really cool um, and we got a little bit of that we, we, Hinchcliffe was, was being funny as always on Twitter um, you know Marco Andretti was out here having a fun time and then the race gets postponed till tomorrow and I'm like oh bugger <laughs> But uh, to celebrate, King, the drivers went out into the stands. I mean, we, we, you would never get that in a Formula One race where the, where the drivers like sod it. We're going over the fence and mingling with the fans for an hour instead. Yeah, <laughs> you, you'd probably get that from like Joel and Palmer, but, but that's because barely anyone knows who he is, so he probably wouldn't <laughs> die out there. <laughs> oh, King, you savage! <laughs> But um, yeah, the, the drivers. I think I think Hinchcliffe was out there. Marco Andretti was out there. I think um, Sebastian Borde was out there. Connor Daly was out there. New Garden. Like about half the roster had decided to you know oh, I saw it. We're going to mingle with the fans, give out some autographs, and say thank you for coming, basically, um, and being incredibly patient. And uh, they did. It was a really cool scene to see that on on um, on, on IndyCar. Like the, the guys coming together and you know giving the fans a little bit of a treat to say sorry we can't race, but. Uh, Really, really cool scenes to see that. So we came back tomorrow afternoon, and then we found out, oh, the race is going to be like 15 minutes after the Formula 1 starts. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, when we're planning this hangout for the for the podcast ourselves on YouTube, we were like, well, we've got to do two at the same time, and King was our official like IndyCar watcher for us because he had, the, he had the broadcast on uh, NBC. Um, well, not on... It was... 
because of you know the events that happened in Orlando and the the presidential address that accompanied that, like NBC schedule was all over the place because I think IndyCar ended up being on uh, NBC's business channel and then F1 got bumped from NBC's free channel to NBC Sports and then other things happened where like uh, the women's golf major, the the LPGA championship went to uh, 18 round playoff. Oh god, an 18 round playoff. I mean an 18 hole playoff, you know, yeah. So, and like that bunch of like, basically the only thing that ended up being on like a predictable channel was IndyCar. <laughs> yeah, so so there you go. So the race was like 15 minutes after um, the F1 started. It was more of an afternoon race than a night race as a result. Um, but we did get the first 72 out of 248 laps there for the Texas 500. And uh, one of the big news points to take away from that was unfortunately King an enormous wreck between Connor Daly and Joseph Newgarden yeah basically coming out of turn four Connor Daly's car uh, snapped loose and he basically collected Joseph Newgarden they both ran right into the into the safer barrier outside wall and uh, Newgarden took two big hits to the wall and you know what? It looked really scary because, like, the way he's hit—it's hard to describe. Also, just using the power of audio, but the way Daly's hit Newgarden's car—it's hit him side on. The Newgarden's car's kind of like flipped the other way, where his head's like two inches off the ground. It's terrifying watching it in real time. You can see, you see, you can see Newgarden's head just almost brushing the, the, the surface of the track, and he's gone against the wall on two occasions. Um, Daly came out of the car okay. Newgarden was up and walking, but he was obviously in quite some pain. He was put on a board. He was airlifted to hospital. Um, luckily, nothing too serious. Um, but he seems like he's, he's broken his clavicle here, King. Yeah, he's broken his clavicle and his wrist. Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing hasn't announced how long he's going to be out for, but he's certainly not going to be ready in two weeks' time for Road America. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. Uh, so, yeah, yeah so Newgarden's going to miss at least a round by the sounds of it. A broken clavicle is a, is a painful one. Um, but thankfully, relatively okay where that's concerned. Um, hopefully, just, hopefully he'll, he'll, be, he'll be. I mean, he, he, he put up a, an Instagram post last night talking about it. So I'm just going to find it real quick here. Spur of the moment podcasting here, folks. Professionalism at its finest. But, uh, yep, on Instagram he said, and I quote, Just give me a bit of time and I'll be ready to kick some ass. Very happy that Connor Daly is okay and I'll be ready to rock soon enough. Thank you to everyone that helped me, our safety crew and everyone at IndyCar and Texas Motor Speedway and everyone at Parkland Hospital. We are so fortunate to work with the best in the business. I'm going to drink a ton of milkshakes, heal my bones and get my ass back into the car. I'm so fortunate to have so many wonderful people in my corner. See you soon. That is the most Joseph Newgarden way of saying I'm going to be okay. I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to drink some milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the man clearly likes some calcium in his diet, but um, given that he's such a fitness freak, I'm surprised he's, he's that heavy on the milkshakes. But um, good to hear Joseph is okay. I mean, we all said it on Twitter, as we say it here as well. I mean, Newgarden is one of the biggest stars in the series, now a real superstar guy, and, you know, a, a great, great personality on the field as well. We love him on, on this podcast. So, yeah, we're yeah. going to miss him. And but- ju- actually, just now, 
Ed Carpenter has announced that uh, J.R. Hildebrand will be replacing uh, Joseph Newgarden until he's ready to return. Oh, it's okay. It's so good for Hildebrand to get some time in the car again. Normally, he's just around for the 500, so uh, good to have more of um, J.R. Hildebrand to fill in for the uh, for the time being. And again, of course, while well, Ford must be wishing Newgarden a very speedy recovery, we need him back in that car. He has one of the best helmets in all of racing as well. That Stars and Stripes thing is a thing of beauty. And, um, and this is coming from me, an English guy. Um, so, so, yeah, Newgarden, get well soon, my man. Uh, we need you back in here. ASAP. And uh, yeah, and it's a shame that. But uh, after that, after that, the race started raining uh, again, uh, and unfortunately, we did not get a restart this time around because the rain just continued to go. And at one point, I think they showed pictures on the track king of like there was like five inches of standing water in one of the tunnels. It was ridiculous. Oh yeah, that was actually the day before. Like they couldn't leave immediately when the race was postponed to the next the next day because the 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 tunnel to the infield was flooded with so much water no one could drive out yeah i mean for the record for those that don't know texas has suffered a ridiculous amount of rainfall the past month or so right king like yes. record breaking flooding <laughs> yeah or it's basically uh entire towns are submerged in water yeah, it's it's been a real heavy flooding in in that in the state. I know a, a, a couple of friends got in touch to say, yeah, Dre, it really is that bad. Um, and I was like, oh god, geez, I hope you guys are all okay over there. And uh, yeah, there's it's, it's been a ton of rain in Texas, so uh, it's a shame. It's kind of had an effect on IndyCar. So the race was called off and uh, cancelled essentially, and uh, it will restart on August twenty seventh. Uh, so yeah, we've got to wait the better part of. Two and a two and a half months for this race to go on, and now King, I think August twenty seventh makes it like it's like the third to last race on the calendar now. Yeah, it's the third to last race behind oh god behind or Watkins Glen and then Sonoma. It's kind of funny how the back of the calendar's now just suddenly changed so much. Where we're, we're thinking well, it was going to be a Boston Street race, and now we've got Texas Watkins Glen Sonoma to to finish the season now. Very bizarre, but also very cool because I like Watkins Glen. So, ah. um, right call, King, to move it this far back to the twenty seventh. Uh, yes, because it basically meant uh, having it in having it on the twenty seventh or not having it at all. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's a plus. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so August 27th, they're going to come back down there, and they're going to, oh, this, this is also interesting, King, they're, they're not going to restart the weekend from scratch. They're going to go, uh, are going to have one practice session, and then they're going to restart from lap 72, where the race was red flagged. So, Hitch, James Hinchcliffe has effectively been given a free pole position for this one. So, uh <laughs> Um, bit of a bizarre call on that one, King, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's... I I wouldn't say it's bizarre, it, because essentially saying that this race weekend never happened, uh, it, it puts IndyCar in a position where they have to have a whole race weekend again, where they have to have all the practice sessions qualifying again, and... Because it's, it's a one-day event now, as yeah, a result. one-day event now, because they can only do one day. They can't do, you know, two days. So, yeah, it's going to be one practice, and then they're going to do the race, but it's going to be a shortened race. It's going to effectively be a, what, do the math here, Dre, 100 and... 
176 lap race. Yeah, my math is good. Uh, yeah. 176 lap race instead of a 248. So it's not going to be a Texas 600. It's going to be more like a Texas, God, 450 or something. <laughs> but um, there you go. Hinchcliffe will be has basically been given a free pole position. No complaints from me. Uh, so it's, uh, again, as we said before, get well soon, Joseph, and uh, hope to see you back in the car soon. So let's let's cut to this rumour mill that you talked about, King, as a breaking news story to start off the uh, news segment here. Renault look like they're going all in to try and bridge the gap to the other teams by the sounds of it. Has King gone missing? <laughs> He's vanished. <laughs> it's the story of the missing King. Uh, <laughs> Matt, take over, quick. <laughs> oh, let me do it. King posted about the, the live rumor of Renault trying to get Carlos Sainz for the 2017 season and also goes in with the news that they're trying to get James Allison back for, to bridge the gap to everyone. Even despite them saying that they were going to try to, what, take five years to get up to the midfield? Um, I mean, to the front of the field? Uh, I guess they said it was a three-year plan. They said it was going to be a three-year plan to try and get back to the front, uh, basically. Yeah. I guess they're just trying to cut down on time. They're, they're running out of patience. They're basically millennials now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are filthy, filthy millennials, yes. Uh, yeah. Or snake people, as I like to call them, because I don't usually like the word millennial. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> that's an improvement to you Matt yes yeah (laughs) to me it is because I am one Um, but but yeah um, in like you like you said in the in the middle of the report of the Canada um, it is an upgrade and a downgrade in both sides because for Carlos Sainz right now it's a downgrade because of course um, Toro Rosso is doing much much better than Renault but but for for Renault, it's uh, it's a much better than having Julian Palmer in there. I would think that Magnussen and Sainz Jr. are a lot are a lot more stronger lineup than having Palmer in there. I'm still I'm really just I really still just think that Palmer got in there because of the because of Jonathan's money. Jonathan's money, <laughs> you cynic! You had to go straight for the jugular on Julian Palmer. It's like I, I said this. I said this on last week's show that like if you go back on our archives and go back to I think it was episode twenty-seven. I want to say it was twenty-seven. K Mag and the Delta Wings. The avatar for that. The avatar for that episode is like a poster. It's like it's one of those old school like resting posters where it's like bounty like bounty hunters attention wanted whipping boy and entertainment provider and Pastor Maldonado's name's been crossed out and the next name is and the name right next to it is Jolian Palmer and it's just like oh god it really has happened now hasn't it um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually just, even joked about him being a paid driver on my 2016 preseason preview I, I, I name dropped oh, all, yeah, the, yeah. all the circuits that Jonathan owns with MSV on the middle of his name <laughs> Yep, like Jolian, poor guy, had no hope here, and you know the, the poor guy's been has been put through the ringer already in, in his debut season, and you know not his fault this time. Obviously, a water pressure failure for the power unit in this case um, put him out in Canada, but uh, he's not had a particularly good first season. I mean, losing it in a straight line at Monaco is not a good way to try and keep your job especially when they've got Esteban Ocon just waiting in the rings, ready to go. They've got Sergei Sorokin and Ollie Rowland potentially in their camp as well as guys that could come in and fill the void um, on, on another occasion. But uh, seemingly, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not good for, for, for Jody and Palmer where that's concerned. I mean, Matt, what have you made of his season so far? 
<laughs> yeah, not not very impressive, but also it's really not t so much his fault because Renault hasn't been all over that anyway. But uh, despite K-Mag doing that that master drive from where eighteenth to seventh on Russia, around that. Yeah, K-Mag had that drive. I mean, Thomas started because he had that great eleventh place in Australia. I was like, oh, I was just short of the points, and. Um a king's return, by the way. Nice to, nice to see you back, King. Nice to see you go yes. quiet about yeah. telling us. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, Palmer had that great rookie race in Australia. He, he finished 11th. He had a, he got a good couple of ding-dong fights with guys like Valtteri Bottas. Like, oh, okay. Palmer looks impressive here. Okay, good first race for, for him at Renault. And then it all just, just kind of gone to crap, eh, King? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it kind of has gone to crap. And it's the the rumor that, that Renault are interested in Carlos Sainz Junior doesn't help him, especially, uh, especially when they have uh, Esteban Ocon on loan from Mercedes. Essentially, mm -hmm. where while Ocon, you know, he hasn't been he hasn't been doing as well as expected in DTM. There are six races in, and he's yet to score points yet. He he's the reigning GP3 champion. Uh, the season before that, he was the European Formula Three champion. Like this kid is one of the more impressive guys out there. Yeah, very much so. And Carlos Sainz has done an incredible job in that Toro Rosso team, especially given the amount of, for no better word, bullshit that's gone on around him in the last two seasons there with Max Verstappen stealing a lot of his thunder when Carlos had, I think, just as good a season in his own right. But he was plagued with seven mechanical breakdowns that season. It's seven out of 19 is an awful run of mechanical retirements in the case of Carlos Sainz. And Verstappen obviously got the promoted deal ahead of, ahead of Carlos when Kvyat kind of you know ran into the back of Velo a couple of times for good measure um Carlos has just been the quiet soldier that's gone about his business ever since then and uh I know a lot of people have badly wanted Verstappen to be a success because you know we in F1 are just so bloodthirsty for new stars and uh I mean King it's it's a it's a factory seat in Renault and if Renault are, going, are willing to open their wallets to try and bridge the gap and break the bank then yeah, that might be a good a good wagon to hitch yourself onto in the long term, right? Yeah, because it seems that Red Bull's a dead end, and I know during the pre-race build-up for the Canadian Grand Prix, they uh, Ted Kravitz asked uh, uh, Toro Rosso team principal Franz Tost if if Carlos Sainz Jr. was a future world champion, and mm -hmm. Franz Tost had like the most telling pause just the hesitation to answer that question and he mm. basically replied saying that that he had the ability to be a world champion but he wasn't but he needed the right car to get it done and he wouldn't be able to do it at Rosso. they would give him the best equipment they possibly could but he would basically have to go somewhere else Hasn't that been the story of uh, so many Toro Rosso drivers of past? I mean, John Eric Verne had a had, was very solid in his, his, his four years in F one, and Sebastian Bordet he said it himself: wrong place, wrong time. He was he was a great driver in that Toro Rosso camp, and uh, again, the, the, the bricks just didn't fall for him. Um, in the case of that wall, and uh, you know, signs could be another victim. I feel like. The way the team is calibrated with a, with, a, with an eighteen year old Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo is obviously the big investment right now. He's he's basically their vessel now, the guy they're going to build the team around, or if they can they can keep his talents basically. I mean, given that situation, Carlos Sainz looks looks like his 
he's in a dead end. These, 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 that's the impression I get, Matt. I mean, what do you reckon? Yeah, I remember seeing somewhere that um, Carlos Sainz's F1 career was pretty much dead after Verstappen got called up to Red Bull. So really, his only other option, if he really wants to be successful, apart from hoping that Ricardo takes a Ferrari contract, is just to go back, take this con to take the seat. But I'm also still not sure if he really should because I don't seeing Renault how they are now. They would have to make a really really big leap to get uh, as good as they want to be next year right. uh, in in the in the best of uh, of occasions i see them being the upper midfield maybe close to williams or around for India terms but yeah it, it, w it would just be the same more of the same for him he wouldn't actually a lot um not a lot yeah. would change like the buzz around the paddock seems very high on carlos Sainz jr like Fernando Alonso's manager, uh, Luis Garcia Bad, like, of course, despite being a fellow, you know, Spaniard, he said that recently he read an article that the performance between Sainz and Verstappen was very similar, and, like, the only difference between the two was that phone call from Red Bull where Verstappen got the promotion and Sainz didn't. Yeah. It could be a very, it could easily be another Vernon Ricardo situation where it was, there was one point between them when they were together at Toro Rosso, but Ricardo got the call and Vern was out of a job, essentially. And that's how brutal it was that Ricardo would, had this amazing breakout 2014 season. And that was John Eric Vern's last year at F1. The nature of it all, the, the cruelty of the Red Bull Driver Academy continues, but uh, we've talked about that on many occasions before already. But I'd like to see Carlos in that factory team. I think I think it's a team that will only get better in time, and if they can get James Allison back over, I mean, Allison makes a lot of sense. Obviously, he used to work for the team, and given the, the tragic passing of his wife um, earlier this year, maybe spending time back in the UK... Um, with, with his family might be enough of a pull factor to maybe make the jump back over just a thought um, just something to, to maybe, maybe what you guys may want to consider where that's concerned but uh, yeah I'm excited I'd like to see Carlos outside of outside of that Red Bull umbrella because I know he's never going to get the best run as long as he's in that team so I'd like to see him get a chance somewhere else so yeah I'm all for that quite frankly so hopefully uh, as time goes on we'll, we'll see how that develops next up Pastor Baldonado, our old, our old chum, our old, uh, our old whipping boy, as we mentioned, Jody and Palmer already being the new whipping boy. We, we, we bring about the old one for one last performance. But uh, King, it seems like the man wants to get busy. Yeah, he he wants to get an F one, and if that's not possible, he wants to drive somewhere else. And I know the rumor going around that it seems like Rio Harianto is running low on funds, like to the point where even his own mother is telling the press he's running low on funds. And, <laughs> and it seems like the number one contender for that seat at Manor is Pastor Maldonado. Like, I, I have to applaud Pastor's passion for this sport. If at age 31, he, by the time next season rolls around, he'll have no problem driving for the worst team in the field. I mean, that's that's some dedication there, King. That's like, that's, that's, that is a guy that clearly doesn't want to give up on the dream. <laughs> yes, he does not want to give up on the dream. The and dream. That, and that dream is to be a Grand Prix racing driver, no matter the cost. No matter the cost, and uh, even if it's with Manor, where you know you're not going to get the rub with Pascal Verlein in that camp. So... 
I mean, it, it's it's not a good impression overall. But hey, I'm, I, if Pastel wants to come back, I'm more I'm all for it. And if not, I've I've heard he wants to maybe try either IndyCar or Formula E as a possibility because he's obviously he's got funds. That's not a problem. He's he obviously he's very well backed. We've often joked about that over the years, much intensely about Pastel's funds and whatnot. But uh, here's one for you, Matt. If Pastel can't come back to F1, what would you would you like to see him in? Well, Formula E seems like the most obvious um, obvious alternative because you know disgraced F1 drivers always always go there. It's not Formula Indy anymore. <laughs> Wait, I'm saying I'm I'm speaking Brazilian again. I said Formula Indy, it's IndyCar. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep cashing those checks, Grim Chanhock. IndyCar seems like a uh, nice alternative. Maybe he can get an, um, another seat of Dale coin because they're also in for the. Um, they're kind of short on the money. They would appreciate that. Um, in, in, but, the bread, in the bread. <laughs> yeah, in, in any other case, he could go with sports cars, DTM, WEC, because they they're seem cheaper and maybe easier for him to get around. Could, could, could you imagine? I mean, this is Dale Coy and the team that once put Francesco Draconi in one of their cars. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone watched IndyCar last season, we all know what a clueless pillock Francesco Draconi was in his in his time in IndyCar but uh, I, I'm all for seeing Pastor in IndyCar I think I think he'd be pretty solid over there I think he's a good driver and if he could learn the ovals well enough I think there's no reason why he couldn't be a solid fit in that series I mean we, we, we've, 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 we've mentioned this story before with other guys like Max Shilton for example who's having a pretty decent rookie season so far in IndyCar and I mean, their roster seems just to be getting better and better by the year. We're seeing some really good talent come through the ranks as well. And the rookie class have all been phenomenal this year in IndyCar with Daly um, having multiple top six finishes and threatening for podiums before. Rossi obviously winning the 500. Hilton having a top 10 finish at Phoenix. So the the, 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 rookies, the rookies seem to be adapting better to IndyCar as years go by and that's only a good thing for the series going forward you know and hey it would be another nice coup for the IndyCar egos eh King given how much they like to they like to, to bounce on the F1 guys for being prima donnas and overpaid the overpaid <laughs> overpaid underworked dudes <laughs> I mean oh, I mean like when you say like Max Schillen has been decent and the rookie class has been phenomenal. Like, this is the best rookie class I can remember. Like, you have to go way back for, like, a rookie class to be this competitive. And I would say that, uh, like, if you discount, like, if you discount Alexander Rossi's 500 win, like, this is an, still an extremely close rookie of the year fight. Indeed, and uh, we are, has Rossi got enough points in the bag from from that Indy 500 weekend? We got 124 to hold off guys like Daly, who's uh, been picking these off um, as time goes. As, as put some really strong performances over the course of the season, and uh, Chilton's been up there on, on occasion as well. Um, so yeah, the rookie class has been so strong, and I don't see any reason why Pastor couldn't have a similar year, if, if it, especially on the road courses, if he got that opportunity. So yeah, I'm all for Pastor getting that getting that opportunity if it comes up. Quite frankly, so yeah, I'm 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 all for that if that comes up. And finally, um, we got to talk about Claire Williams now. For those of us that don't know, in the United Kingdom, we have the Queen's birthday. because the Queen turned 90 uh, this past weekend. And every year she has some honours she gives out, some awards for uh, 
people in and around the world of sports, entertainment, you know, all those kind of pop culture categories you know and love. And uh, in Formula One, Claire Williams got an OBE from the Queen. So congratulations to Claire, um, a real great figure in Formula One. I mean, a certain someone on this panel absolutely adores Claire Williams. I'll give you three guesses as to who that is. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a hint. He's not British and he's not Brazilian. Um <laughs> King, say uh, why not? Why not say a few words about how happy you are? Go on, you know you want to. <laughs> yes, I, I'm very happy that Claire Williams got no be, and you know she draw she joins a long line of you know F1 personalities to receive honors from the Queen, and uh, the internet was divided about how to feel about this. Like any, like 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 with anything where awards are given out these days on the internet, the internet's got to kick up a fuss about it and throw up a stink. And uh, the general criticism I saw, King, was that Claire Williams had seemingly, apparently, not done good enough with Williams since becoming deputy team manager, or team principal, I should say, in her time and, and since she's gotten there. And I just find that to be total horseshit, quite frankly. So. Yeah, and it's like some of the complaints are like extremely semantic when it comes to like the level of honors because uh Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button both are still on the first level they they both only have MBEs, MBEs while, Claire's yeah. on, while Claire's on the second level with an OBE yeah that's um that is a bit that is a bit funny about that I mean I'm, sh- I'm sure Hamilton will get his upgraded in time I mean shit he's, he's the most <laughs> success he's the most successful British driver in Formula 1 history okay like he like the upgrade is coming people like he's probably gonna get a knighthood down the road okay like like relax people okay if Chris Hoy's getting a knighthood up in here and Ben Ainsley's getting a knighthood up in here Lewis will get his okay yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm darn sure of that down the road so I have no problem with this at all I think Claire's done an exceptional job in that Williams team since taking over the most of the active duties in that team. Since obviously since Sir Frank is obviously not capable of of, uh, of that kind of workload anymore, but so obviously Claire's essentially running the ship in all but title, essentially. But um, I mean, it's easy to forget that Williams was nowhere to be seen towards the end of the V8 era, and now in the hybrid era. They're a team that is, you know, that is now solidly in the top four. And, you know, they were top three in 2015. And, you know, 2014, the first year, they were up there challenging for second with Red Bull. I mean, Williams was an incredibly strong independent outfit king. It's easy to forget that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it seems that, oh, people are comparing Williams to Williams of the past, like the late 90s title winners and the early two ta- the early 2000 title contenders it, like if you even want to say they were close to being contenders but Ferrari were in a class of their own mm-hmm. um, yeah that, that's what it is I mean they are the best independent team in F1 by a country market they did not have the backing or the, the, the sheer um, well that, Red yeah. Bull's an independent team you, you need to remember technically <laughs> I mean Okay, let's be real here. Until last year, they were the rare with a Renault factory team. Like, let, let, let's call it what it was, King. Let's call a spade a spade, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, like they they were getting all of Renault's attention because obviously a win for, Ren, for, for Red Bull was a win for them. Obviously, until they had their very public falling out and when they realized, oh, crap, it's the power unit that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. 
but uh, they are an incredible independent outfit. They, they've, they've done an incredible job, and, and as much as they've been one of the first to complain about financial issues, they've still kept themselves in the mix for podiums, in the mix for you know, strong finishes, and they are still the best independent team in the field by some distance. Um, so props to them. Congratulations to Claire. She's a real great figure for F1. I was lucky enough to meet her at the... Um, Zoom auction back in 2014. She's an absolutely lovely woman, um, very incredibly polite and very charming. So uh, congratulations to Claire. I'm, I'm very very happy for her and uh, for the Williams team in general because they've had a, they've had a few of these honours go go their way in in, in in their time in Formula One. So congrats to all of those guys up there. So just before we go, um, just just like to say, if you like the show, feel free to back us on Patreon. If you really really like us, that's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Check us out on YouTube at motorsport101. You can check us out on there. Um, and uh, as I mentioned before, check out Matt if you haven't already at uh, Mystery Science Theater F1. Is there is there a specific URL that you remember for your channel uh, name? Yeah, Matt? YouTube.com slash c slash mstf1. There you go. So check check that out. Yes. And uh, if you want to follow Matt on Twitter, you can at Scanning Tour. Uh, again, one of the real good guys in the F1 space and just an absolutely brilliant video maker. And we were so glad to have you on, Matt. Again, you're welcome back on any time, my man. No, um, thank you for having me. I'm, thinking, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I made it this time. <laughs> Definitely. I'm glad to get you on. My hit list has got like, I can tick that one off. I can tick Chris off. I can, I just got to get Rebecca James on here at some point. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think the world is ready for that. <laughs> I've got to talk to her next time I'm on Bike Live. But um, if you haven't already, you, you can follow Matt on Twitter as I said, at, at Skellingsaw and uh, on YouTube as Mystery Science Fitter F1. Check him out if you haven't already. Give him a nice little Twitter bump from us, quite frankly. And I, I demand you follow him. Um, in the meantime, you can check us out also on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Harrison101HD. You can follow King on Twitter at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. We will be back next week as ever for episode. 45 and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get Johnson out of commentary retirement by then probably not but who cares so from me from King and from Matt thank you very much for, for listening and we'll catch you guys next time sayonara you are the